Well, news just in. The Pretoria High Court has set aside the public protector um, CR-17 Basasa report, uh, declaring it invalid and unlawful. Now, uh, this, of course, uh, has just gone down in the Pretoria High Court, where it also found that President Cyril Ramaphosa was not obliged to disclose to Parliament donations to his CR-17 campaign, um, as there was no evidence that Ramaphosa had financially benefited from the campaign in his personal capacity. Now, the case was brought before the court uh, by President Cyril Ramaphosa for a judicial review of public protector Busisiwe Mkwebane's report into the funding of his 2017 ANC presidential election campaign. And uh, here's Judge uh, Elias Matojane on behalf of the full bench reading out part of that judgment. If the president did not personally benefit or receive financial campaign contribution through the CR17 campaign, as the public protector found, how could the public protector rationally conclude that he was obliged under the executive code to make the disclosure of the donations? The source of the duty of members of the executive to make disclosure of their financial interest is section 96 subsection 1 of the constitution and the ethics act i quote section 2 sub 2b roman figure 3 provides that the code of ethics must include provisions prohibiting such members from exposing themselves to any situation involving the risk of a conflict between their official responsibilities and their private interest. Close the code. Paragraph 6 of the code set out the financial interest that must be disclosed. This includes, one, under paragraph 6.2, direct financial sponsorship or assistance from any source other than the member's party, which benefits the member in her personal and private capacity. And under paragraph 6.4, the nature and source of any other benefit of a material nature and the value of that benefit. We stated above that on the facts before the public protector, there was nothing to substantiate her conclusion that the president was obliged to disclose donations made to the CR-17 campaign under paragraph 6.2 of the code. This is because there was no evidence that he received direct financial sponsorship from the donations through the CR-17 campaign. It was submitted to us in oral argument on behalf of the EFF that because the president indirectly benefited from the CR-17 campaign, this attracted an obligation under the executive code to disclose the donations received by the CR-17 campaign. One fundamental difficulty with this proposition is that it is not the basis on which the public protector reached her conclusion. We are required to determine the rationality of her conclusions and the reasons for those conclusions. Her conclusions, as we have already noted, were founded on her conflation between the CR-17 campaign and the president. It was on this basis that she assumed that what accrued to the CR-17 campaign accrued to the president for his personal benefit and were thus disclosable benefits.
Therefore, the submission by the EFF does not assist the public protect. Apart from this, paragraph 6.4 does not describe the kind of in indirect benefit that must be disclosed. What the president gained from the CR17 campaign was support for his candidature as ANC president. So did other members of the party whose candidatures were supported by the campaign. The nature of the benefit was to advance the in internal party political power base of those candidates. It was not a financial benefit upon which one could place the type of value required to be disclosed under paragraph 6. It would be irrational to equate the value of this indirect political benefit with the value of all donations received by the whole CR17 campaign and to find that the president was under an obligation to disclose those donations. For this reason, the president was not obliged to make disclosure of donations received by the CR17 campaign under paragraph 6.4 of the executive code. We must also mention a further submission by the EFF on this issue, making common cause with the public protector. The submission is that indirectly receiving the benefit emanating from the CR campaign, the president placed himself in a position where he exposed himself to a situation involving the risk of a conflict between his official responsibilities and his private interest. For this, it was added on behalf of the EFF, the president was obliged to disclose the CR17 donations and his failure to do so violated section 96 sub 2 of the constitution. Clearly, this submission must be packed to paragraph 6.2 of the code to resonate with what the public protector found. The EFF argued that this conclusion was upheld by this court in President of the Republic of South Africa against public protector and others, the Zuma case, where the then president's power to appoint the chairperson of a commission of inquiry was curtailed on the basis, so it was submitted, that the then president's private interest may have improperly affected how he discharged the powers of his office. The submission was that should we uphold the president's argument in the case before us, that would amount to a declaration that the Zuma case was decided on an incorrect basis. And that was Judge uh, Elias Matojane with part of uh, the judgment there. And uh, for reaction now, uh, the public uh, protector spokesperson, Opa Sekhalwe, currently addressing the media. She will be in a position to opine substantively on the judgment as well as uh, indicate what the next step for her will be. Essentially, it was a clean sweep for the president on all key points that we argued here. Uh, the public protector has lost, and this is yet another high-profile court matter that the, the public protector has lost. Uh, what's going on there? Well, as I said, she will have to, you know, go through the judgment with a fine uh, tooth comb um, to understand the reasoning, because uh, she thought that uh, her counsel representing her uh, a month ago put her case in a very uh, strong manner. Uh, she wasn't anticipating this kind of uh, a ruling, but uh, as I said, she will indicate uh, whether she will take any steps going forward uh, with regard to this matter. But Does obviously, 
uh, it's a disappointing judgment and uh, she respects the judiciary as well as the judiciary's authority to make these kind of rulings. Uh, but of course, uh, respecting a ruling does not mean you must agree with it. Uh, you can hold a different view and uh, you have all these other avenues to explore with a view to possibly arriving at a dif different conclusion. But I'm not saying she's going to appeal because she hasn't taken that decision yet. That decision can only be taken after a thorough study of the judgment. How can the public protector believe that attorneys made a strong case when they were criticized, the arguments were criticized so extensively in, in this judgment? Well, it, it, it would be, of course, based on uh, previous authorities. Uh, this, this very same court uh, has previously made, uh, you know, similar, or has made rulings on a similar case. For instance, if you look at the state capture uh, judgment, you will see that in the remedial action, uh, the executive was directed to take certain steps to establish a commission uh, to appoint a chairperson. You will notice that uh, there were certain things in that report that were referred uh, to the uh, NPA. You will also notice that Parliament was directed to do something, uh, and that, that was to review the Act, the Executive Members Ethics Act. And that matter was brought before this court, and this court ruled that that remedial action was sound. And uh, that was uh, the basis of some of the public protector's decision and the arguments advanced by counsel. But obviously the court uh, viewed those differently, which is why I'm saying the public protector will have to rally her legal team uh, and, and, and give themselves time to study it thoroughly and then map the way forward. This is the latest court to question the public protector's partiality to signify or to, to determine that she doesn't seem to have a basic grasp of the law. She confused the law on money laundering with that of corruption. Um, you know, she didn't seem, uh, you know, she didn't seem to have an open mind, the court found. This is like the fourth or fifth very, very damning ruling made against her. In light of all these things, in light of the fact that these courts continuously raise issues of her competence, does she believe she's going to be able to stay in office if there is an inquiry into her fitness? Yes, she does, because she does not believe that uh, the reason for uh, one to stay in office must be based on the merits of the, uh, her investigations or even the arguments she brings before court, because that, if that was the case, then uh, even judges would stay on the bench would be threatened, because courts criticize even judges time and again to say, you were unreasonable here, you misapplied the law here, and so forth. So if that has never happened to anyone sitting on the bench, why then should it happen to a public protector? That's her position on the matter. Does so, she believe she'll be able to block this inquiry from happening when she goes to court next week? That is another misunderstanding. The public protector has no interest in blocking the hearing. Yes. She has questioned the rules. She is on advice that the rules are unlawful and unconstitutional. So once that question has been addressed, she's happy to participate in the inquiry. She has no qualms with the inquiry. She understands that in terms of Section 194 of the Constitution, Parliament has that power uh, to hold her to account in that way. And she has no beef with that whatsoever. Her problem is that the rules, as she has been advised by counsel, are invalid, null and void. And that's the argument she will be advancing before court. And then once that matter has been settled, then uh, the inquiry can proceed.
Does the public protector, as we stand, uh, do you think she still has any uh, sort of a form of credibility? And can the public still trust her when we are seeing that uh, it is the APSA Bank op case, we had uh, the Estina Dairy Farm matter, and now we have another high-profile Bosasa matter all you know, reviewed and set aside. How can the public continue to trust a public protector that seems to be losing on key uh, investigation that uh, she issues? Well, uh, I think the question you should be asking is, is, is whether if this matter was decided by a court and a senior court uh, found that uh, uh, the findings were irrational. Would you say then that the, the court has no credibility? It doesn't work like that. That's why I've been saying you cannot say a person is incompetent on the merits of the case that uh, she has advanced. If you say that, then you should be prepared to say it in, in, in respect of the courts. There are a lot of uh, high court judgments that get overturned by the Supreme Court of Appeal and the Constitutional Court. So it, it can be that uh, when um, a court decides that there has been a misreading of the law here, irrationality here, therefore the person is not fit to hold office. There have been public protectors before who have had their decisions uh, set aside uh, on the grounds of irrationality, misreading of the law and so forth. So um, let's, 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 let's not have one set of rules for some people and a different set of rules for the others. Thank you. And that was uh, the public protector spokesperson, Opa Sekhalwe, as a uh, uh, reaction continues to pour in uh, following uh, the High Court uh, judgment in Pretoria uh, regarding uh, the CR17 campaign funding. And uh, that report, of course, has been set aside by the Pretoria High Court. We're going to uh, cross over now to the Claude Leon Foundation Chair in Constitutional Governance at the University of Cape Town, Professor Pierre de Foss. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Um, good afternoon, and thank you for having me. So, Professor DeFoss, uh, the High Court finding there that the public protector did not have jurisdiction to investigate the CR17 campaign and said that um, uh, it was outside uh, her purview, which, of course, uh, the campaign uh, was about private, outside state affairs, as it were. It was a public, uh, uh, rather, uh, an internal party matter as opposed to a state matter. But uh, many people, and I'm looking at the reaction, um, really not uh, understanding what that means. So can you give us further clarity on that? Yes, well, it's the obvious thing that the public protect is there to uh, investigate matters of status where public money is involved. So, um, you know, something happening at ESCOM or SABC, Department of Social Work, whatever the case might be, the public protector cannot investigate, say, um, Steinhoff. It cannot investigate um, the Anglo-American and so on and so on because those are private companies. And the argument here is that the, the president wasn't using public funds. The campaign was private donations coming into a campaign, and the campaign was not part of the government. And so the public does not have jurisdiction here, which does not mean, as the court also hinted, that it is not a concern that uh, public, uh, that campaigns, political campaigns, um, uh, are not ca- is not required by our to be transparent about who they get from, but there is at the moment not a law that regulates that. 
but that's a different matter from whether she has jurisdiction to investigate it. Mm, because and, 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 and that point about accountability, as you say, as uh, the court also touched on, uh, can we just elaborate on that slightly? Uh, because, um, you know, it, it, it actually also uh, answers many of the questions being posed. But Professor DeFoss, can I just put you on hold very briefly? Uh, President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, spokesperson, Kusela Diko, is uh, now responding to the judgment. So let's just take a quick listen. Would have misled Parliament and by necessary implication. Uh, the nation. And secondly, that there was no lawful activity that the president would have participated in, and that by no stretch of the imagination or, or no stretch of law, in fact, can you come to that conclusion as the public protector did. Um, we welcome this judgment. Um, we, we welcome the fact that we believe it brings finality to the matter. The president remains committed to honest and effective governance. The, the justice goes first to saying that the public protector in the path she's continuing, she's going to lose the trust of the very same people who elected her to represent them. What is the president's view on this particular matter of some of the scathing remarks that the judges were making? Well, I think the president has noted the remarks that have been made uh, by court. Um, they are obviously uh, very uh, serious remarks that have been made by court in relation to the manner in which the office of the public protector would have conducted itself. He has made no determination on uh, confidence in the public protector. He believes that that is a matter that will be handled by parliament uh, at this point, welcoming this judgment. Indeed, that's what the, the, the courts are there for. It's to settle disputes that exist in society, and he is happy that um, uh, the views that he had raised in this regard have prevailed. On the issue of the public protector basically being set to her remedial action of the president having directly benefited from the Pusasa donation of 500,000 rands from the late Gavin Watson, personally from his own account to CR17 campaign, what's the president's view on this particular matter? And does he still believe that the public protector has been venturing into the political arena when it comes to his investig- to investigations on his ANC campaign? Well, it's not the view of the president. I think the court was very clear uh, that the public protector had absolutely no jurisdiction to investigate issues that are related to the CR17 campaign was an internal campaign. But the court goes further to say that uh, the president derived no benefit whatsoever from those donations. It was a political party uh, funding campaign, an internal campaign, which uh, in its nature did not uh, accrue to the president personally. So there was no responsibility on him to disclose those particular donations. But Samgela, I want to just also underline the point that um, the court declared that when the president was in parliament, he answered as honestly to the best of his ability at that particular point. And the president's uh, conduct, um, again, the court asserts that the president's conduct was in line with somebody who has every intention and acts in a manner that is honest, that is accountable, that is transparent. And we are glad that uh, the court has upheld those particular principles. We do think that uh, as, 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 as this matter has now been brought to finality, it gives obviously an opportunity for uh, the Office of the Public Protector and the nation at large you know, to, to, to study that judgment carefully and to ensure that such instances do not recur. In the case that the public process that decides to appeal this particular court judgment on this particular remedial actions of hers and the report being set aside on the president, what's the way forward for the presidency? Well, we would not wish to comment on that. As we've said, that we believe that the courts are there for a particular purpose, and that is to settle disputes that arise in society. And if the public protector is of the view um, that there is a matter that requires such further arbitration, then it w- she would be acting well within her rights to do so. As far as the presidency is concerned, this matter uh, has been settled, and we trust that uh, all of us will be able to, to move forward, having less- learned the lesson that came out of it. Ms. Diko, in this also particular court case, there was another one where the president wanted to conceal the various uh, uh, statements that the public protector had of the CR17 president's campaign. Is the president beholden 
by those who funded his campaign in, uh, in executing his government duties is he beholden by these funders. Well, you remember that the court would have also uh, ventured an opinion as it relates to whether indeed, um, you know, uh, 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 participants in such a political campaign should know their funders. And uh, it was the view of the court that the approach that the CR17 uh, campaign sought to take was perhaps uh, the correct one, precisely because of uh, the reason that you outlined. But the court also spoke to the fact that um, uh, but we need to ensure that while we have the political party funding bill, it does not extend far enough, but it is not the responsibility of the court to look into that matter. Samgelo, one thing that was particularly disturbing would have been the conclusion that the public protector came to uh, that uh, inferred or actually explicitly said that uh, there was money laundering that is, is involved. Now, um, uh, uh, the judge went to great lengths to explain exactly what money laundering is, and, and he made the conclusion that there's absolutely no basis for any uh, uh, finding that says that the president has been involved in uh, unlawful activities and particularly money laundering. He went further to say that um, there is also absolutely no evidence whatsoever that uh, any money in the CR17 campaign would have come from uh, public sources, but rather it was private sources uh, of funding for a private campaign. What is the president's relationship like with Advocate Mrs. William Kweban? The president and the public protector cooperate very well as expected by the constitution. Um, they have met on several occasions, uh, including during uh, the, uh, the process of uh, this particular report as it was being processed. And their uh, relationship remains uh, cordial, it remains uh, professional, and we have no doubt that they, they, they continue to cooperate as required by law. What's the way forward for the president of this particular matter? Is it done and dusted and sealed? Well, the president will, will obviously uh, spend some time to study the judgment. Um, as we've said, that we believe that this matter has has been settled, um, and we we, we we believe that the court has been extremely uh, fair uh, in its uh, in its judgment on this issue. And um, any issues that require any further processing from there would be looked at at a later stage. On this particular matter of the CRC of the five hundred thousand from the late Gavin Watson, it's the president's confidante and arguably his best friend, the one of the former presidents of the National Union of Mine because James Mutlatsi, who went to get the donation from Kevin Watson and he went to solicit it from Mr. Watson. Has the president spoken to Mr. James Mutlatsi or has the president had any engagement with Mr. Mutlatsi on how he feels about this particular judgment since he was an implicated party? Well, I, I will not be able to speak on behalf of Mr. Mutlatsi, but I do know that he also fully cooperated with the public protector's investigation. He outlined his side of the story. And um, more than anything, you know, when uh, the judge was speaking about, about money laundering and what constitutes money laundering, he would have said that it's only when a particular individual is aware that uh, proceeds that are coming to him are the proceeds of crime. And it doesn't matter how many times, uh, which I think the argument that the public protector was trying to make, how many times that money moves between accounts it is is not money laundering um, if that particular requirement has been met. So we, we are confident that um, that is uh, aligned with the, the submissions that had been made by Mr. Mutlatze and other individuals who had been involved in the CR17 campaign. It totally exonerates the president from any cloud that uh, that report would have sought to cast on him that he was involved in any unlawful activities or that he would have wanted to mislead, mislead parliament and the nation at large. Does this take a political weapon away from the president's opponents in the National Assembly? That would be those within who first made the first complaint, the Democratic Alliance through its former leader, Musa Maimani, and those who came on onto, on board to defending Musa Suyem Kubani, the public protector, the economic freedom fighters who have been very scathing of and critical of the president in the National Assembly. 
I really don't think it's about um, political weapons. I think uh, the Democratic Alliance would have acted within its rights to raise issues. They felt that there was a matter that uh, needed to be investigated by the public protector, and the president would have subjected himself uh, to that particular process in line with what is required uh, from him. Now that the matter has been concluded, I trust that even the opposition parties will find satisfaction in the fact that it has run its course, and we believe that it has now been brought to finality and conclusion. Presidential spokesperson Kusela Diko there in conversation with SABC's uh, Sam Kelomaseko. So uh, getting back to uh, Professor Pierre de Foss, uh, he is of course uh, the Claude Leon Foundation Chair in Constitutional Governance at the University of Cape Town. Now uh, just getting back to that question about accountability uh, that we were about to address Professor de Foss. Uh, listening uh, to the judgment and what was said, the fund that was set up and the fact that the President didn't uh, directly benefit from that. What does this mean uh, for uh, future uh, discussions of this particular nation? What sort of precedent does it set? No, it doesn't set any precedent because in the past there has been any legal obligation on any politician to declare finances uh, for a private political campaign to, uh, to the public or to parliament. It really means is that we should start the conversation now about what kind of legislation we should put in place to make sure that whether you're in parliament or whether you're a politician out of parliament, if you're running for a political campaign, say within the DA or the ANC or the EFS, then there must be some kind of legally required and institute transparency so that we know who fund you, whether it's cigarette smugglers, whether it's Osasa, whether it's property developers, so that we can know the, whether we can trust you as a political party or politician. And then looking at the role of the public protector and once again her spokesperson saying that uh, it isn't new that a public protector would have uh, perhaps misread or misapplied the law and uh, that shouldn't be a basis for the public protector's removal. But this, of course, uh, as pointed out by the journalists, they're not uh, the first time that this fate has befallen the current public protector. So what's your view on that? The comment is completely disingenuous because there's a huge difference between having an upper court um, reverse a decision that you have made. It happens every day, as the public protector spokesperson said uh, in the courts. But the reason for the, um, re- the finding of the court is important. Here the reason is the protector didn't keep an open mind. She referred to to the, she actually quoted completely the wrong legal provision in the, long, uh, the wrong act when she spoke about money laundering. She didn't, um, she ignored the facts that was before her. This, is, this goes to her credibility, to integrity, to her ability actually to do basic legal work, which is no court judgment overruling a lower court judgment has ever made such scathing findings about the judge. And so the two things cannot really be compared, one being a normal case, the other one being a case where the person who, against whom the judgment is made has basically had the credibility destroyed by the court. Professor DeFoss, let's park it there. Thank you so much. Uh, Professor Pierre DeFoss is uh, the Claude Leon Foundation Chair in Constitutional Governance at the University of Cape Town.
Well, uh, the Pretoria High Court has set aside public protector uh, Busisiwe Mkwebane's CR17 report, declaring it invalid and unlawful and uh, still getting reaction uh, to that particular uh, judgment. And uh, in case you missed it, uh, let's just uh, bring it to you, that uh, final judgment there. And uh, this is as it was handed down a short while ago uh, by Judge Motejani. She persisted with her thesis that there were reasons to suspect that the CR17 campaign was involved in state capture of some sort and that the prima facie case of a suspicion of money laundering had been suspicious as had been established she recklessly ignored the evidence at her disposal she pointed to the opposite conclusion in doing so she breached her duty to approach every investigation in an open-minded fashion finally we're concerned by her attitude to the speaker and the NDPP. As we have already described in a letter in response to the NDPP, the public protector implied that the NDPP was being unduly influenced to back the president's case. Such an implication is completely unfounded, particularly in circumstances where we have found that the NDPP was entirely correct to seek clarity and subsequently a review of the public protector's directive. Her attitude to the speaker is equally concerning. In her answering affidavit in response to the speaker's review, the public protector says that the speaker's review is tantamount to demonstrating support for the president and is a failure to stand on the side of accountability. These are reckless statements to make against another organ of state and deserve the opprobrium of the court. The totality of the public protector's conduct highlighted above warrants an adverse cost order against him. In our view, an order that she be directed to pay the president's costs on an attainment landscape is warranted. Our conclusion order is therefore as follows. As is apparent from our judgment, the public protector acted unlawfully in exercising her powers in the manner that she did in this matter. We have found for for the detailed reasons given above, that her investigation into the CR17 campaign donations fell outside her field of competence. Further, that her report and the findings and remedial action contained in it were invalid on several grounds. It follows that they cannot stand and must be set aside. In the result, the review of the President, the Speaker, and the NDPP succeed. We make and order in the following terms. One, the public protector's decision to investigate and report on the CR17 election campaign for the African National Congress leadership elected in December 2017 is reviewed, declared invalid, and set aside. The public, public protector's report number 37 of 2019 stroke 20 of 19 July 2019, including the findings and remedial orders in paragraph 7.1, is reviewed, declared invalid, and set aside. The public protector is ordered to pay the costs of the first applicant on the punitive scale as between attendant line including the cost of two countries. The public protector is ordered to pay the cost of the second applicant and the third respondent on the party and party scale, including the cost of two countries.
No order is to cost is made in respect of the fourth, fifth, and sixth respondents and the amicus curiae. And uh, apologies, uh, that was uh, Justice Mlambo handing down uh, the final part of that judgment. The earlier part was uh, read by Judge Elias Matojane. And we join now by uh, political analyst uh, Lukona Nguni uh, just to help us unpack further uh, what this judgment actually means. Uh, Lukona, thanks for your time this afternoon. So uh, once again, uh, just to get your views on this, is this the end of the road for the public protector? Uh, so, again, I have no doubt that for her in that office, her time has run out. And in actual fact, I do think that um, insofar as the judgment concerns her person and her conduct, if she had any honorable fiber in her, she would actually resign from that uh, position she occupies. Even if you had read her report, not only was it muddled by, I mean, just even stylistic issues in terms of writing, but there were instances where it was very difficult to follow and the legal argument that she was making. And that is why I think for some of us, uh, what were more important interventions in that particular court case were the ones that were brought up by the likes of Amapungan and the EFF uh, to bolster arguments around questions of our political accountability framework, rather than being excited as to whether or not her findings uh, whether the president had misled parliament and so on and her conduct in relation to other institutions of state such as the national executive and um, and the national public uh, prosecutions authority. Um, so I don't think, uh, personally, I wouldn't have been more excited about that aspect of the court, but I was looking very much forward to what the court would say on the accountability framework and how it pronounces itself and insofar as the Amabungane intervention is concerned. And I think that's where my interest uh, remains. And, of course, um, the court makes in its, in its order, in the very first instance, that the public protector um, should not have investigated nor reported on the CLC Vincent campaign funds. And, I, I mean, as much as we may say, she must inve- that office must investigate public um, uh, affairs, but it also talks about state affairs, and she didn't stumble on that investigation out of nowhere. There was an allegation that there had been a breach of the executive ethics code, and I think to say that shouldn't have investigated that campaign, and if you listen to how the judges express themselves, even without going into the merits, I mean, they quite clear they've not dealt with the merits or demerits of the Amapungani case, but they make commentary about uh, benefits, about uh, the desirability for politicians to know or not know who actually contributes to their campaigns. And of course, you may say, as they allege, it may be good that politicians don't know, but then there's a problem because the same politicians tend to appoint people who are running their campaign funds um, into strategic positions of power. You saw Dabeng were becoming part of the ESCOM board. You saw uh, the likes of Marion Sparks, they're now in the presidency as advisors. So how do you then say the president is detached from the donors if those that were running the campaign fund are actually still in such strategic positions of the state. So I think there, there is a lot to be discussed and, and I, I, I don't think the, the court um, in terms of, for me, it kicks for touch in this sense and it leaves um, citizens quite at the next because it says it's for the executive and parliament to discuss this thing.
But where we have seen an uh, an undesire, a, a lack of desire from politicians to actually take us to a higher standard of accountability, I think the court, without directing and being prescriptive to these arms of the states because of separation of powers, could have given us a much more nuanced discussion on what ought to be desirable within the frame of political accountability. So do you think that that particular issue should be pressed further and perhaps taken um, uh, up to constitutional court uh, level if necessary, uh, just to look at that issue of accountability? Because if the court says that uh, the CR17 campaign, for example, um, does not rest within the purview of the public protector's uh, office, so we understand that's not her scope, but how do we draw the line? How do we know where that line is between uh, what is private uh, and outside affairs as opposed to state affairs? No, absolutely. So, you know, I think um, insofar as that aspect of the judgment is concerned, there has to be an appeal up to the Constitutional Court uh, level because the Constitutional Court has expressed itself a, a lot on these questions of benefit. And I mean, if you remember back to the 2014 elections and the DA called President Zuma uh, it was 2014-2016 local government elections, but uh, ahead of one of the elections, the DA alleged that President Zuma is a thief, and uh, that led to a, a court challenge, which the Constitutional Court then gave us quite an expansive definition of what it means uh, to thief. So I think the, the narrowing of the scope in terms of benefit only to be financial benefits that accrue to the individual, but also the narrowing of political party affairs to meet the private issues and entities and, and that um, we know how the state South Africa functions. You get power inside the political party and then that makes you a president and that gives you a chance to become the head of state. But within the accountability framework that we have been building as a country, uh, right from uh, the Ganda judgment and, 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 and talking about questions of um, undue influence for politicians to exercise um, they are they are they are conscience in public office. If you go to the secret ballot uh, uh, judgment, for example, of the Concord, it was actually giving the secret ballot, and there are still big discussions whether that was the right decision or not. But um, the, the the issue there was that uh, the public representatives must be protected to perform their duties at all costs without undue influence. And where the undue influence uh, rears its head, they must be protected by way of being allowed to vote secretly. So even now, it follows that you can't then say those state actors. Because the judges say, look, if you then only leave this to selective accountability of executives and those who are already in public office, it means those who are not completely open to being um, unaccountable and not transparent. That is true. And we would need a framework that touches everybody. But there is a greater responsibility that accrues to those who are already in public office for the mere fact that they've already taken an oath of office and must be held to a higher standard. And I think for me, the constitutional court might be able to help us frame these questions in a much better way than the high court has done. Just a final question, uh, because this is one I am grappling with. When the judge says that the CR17 campaign did not benefit the president directly, what does that mean? Uh, in the Because in this instance, you have a campaign, a campaign fund that is set up to benefit 
the um, you know uh, the the running for public office of a certain individual. So when you say that the individual does not benefit directly, please explain how that comes about. Well, I think the judges would be better place to explain that logic um, they adopt. In so far, this is what I'm saying. In, a, in as much as they don't delve sometimes to merits and demerits of issues, but they make certain commentary. So, and then they confine themselves, of course, to the interpretation of the executive ethics code and the members' executive uh, ethics act, and you know, say that it lists benefit in quite monetary terms to say that um, um, no, if you have not received money or, or directly as the individuals, and of course, then there's this cushion that the president himself donated. Uh, quite substantively to, to that. But as you are saying, the VIP was purpose-built to specifically benefit. If the campaign succeeds, it will benefit the prospect of the president. Now, what he then does well, unfortunately, that line deteriorating very badly towards the end there. Uh, Lukona Nguni is, of course, a political analyst. So we've tried to get you as much analysis and, of course, um, the reaction to that judgment by the Pretoria High Court setting aside the public protector's report regarding uh, President Ramaphosa's CR17 campaign.